Welcome to Too Deep, Hokies Under the Influence. My name is Pete Berthod, and my co-host is Robbie Dowling. Robbie, it's been a while since we've recorded. We haven't talked football in a really long time. I guess maybe the first thing we should do is apologize to our listeners. How you feeling, man? Uh, I'm feeling good. That's probably where I'm going to go with this uh, this cheers as well. So um, let's just yeah, let's kick it off that way. Um, so uh, first cheers goes to Pete. He's married. Uh, sorry, ladies. I know there's uh, probably a ton of women that listen to this podcast. If I had to guess, so the ratio <laughs> would be about fifty fifty. But oh and yeah, any, right. yeah. But uh, uh, Pete got married. It was a great wedding. I tweeted out uh, some inside scoop from attending that wedding. It was it was beautiful and a fun time, and uh, you know a lot of uh, libations were drank, and we had. Uh, fun overall. And then the second cheers has to go out to the listeners. People have been patient with us. We did have um, a few people check to make sure everybody was healthy, uh, legitimately make sure that nothing <laughs> happened to, to one of us. But a uh, few things going on in each other's lives, including uh, even most recently, uh, starting potty training for my daughter. You got married. We, we got a lot going on, but we are full ready to go on this season. So cheers to the listeners for being patient. Let's get ready for football season. Cheers. <clears throat> yeah, I did get married. Finally pulled the trigger. I was a, a longtime bachelor. I, I finished at Tech. I don't even know if I want to say, but <laughs> it was over 10 years ago. So, uh, I've been a bachelor for a long time, but you know I've got a lovely wife. Even though she attended JMU, I don't hold that against her. And so the wedding was well attended by Virginia kids in general. There were so many JMU and tech people there, and I'm glad you had fun, Robbie. That's the thing when you're, you know, the bride or groom, which I obviously have never been before. You are in a weird role of like you're throwing the party, but the party is also for you. So you want to make sure everyone has a good time, but really you need to concentrate on having your own good time. And uh, I certainly did. There was a there was a section you tweeted this out too of of that the DJ played of like two thousands like punk uh, like alternative I don't know like alt nation type stuff like lit and uh, what yeah what were some of the other ones lit like some forty one or there. something it <laughs> I didn't, don't know it was it didn't get cool it was almost it didn't hit like the brand new like we didn't go full yeah. like but it was it was touching on yellow card right in between but didn't it yeah. wasn't like some forty one or anything along those lines so oh, don't okay, be embarrassed okay. <laughs> good good no I mean it was well received people were going nuts so it was uh, it was a lot of fun. Anyway, let's hop into these news and notes, man. Um, there's been a lot of things that have happened. All of spring practice happened since we last recorded because our last recording was the Sweet 16, and we've got a new basketball coach. We had spring game, all this stuff, so we're going to get into it right now. Pearson Prelu was hired as our director of player personnel on the defense. He takes over for Justin Hamilton as he was promoted to our Whips Rovers coach uh, to replace Tyrone Nix. Um, and it, I don't think it's a coincidence either that with Hamilton, who we did talk a little bit about in the past, uh, that the whips and rovers are starting to look better. And yes. I don't think that's a coincidence that he, you know, he's the coach and now they're starting to play better. So, uh, at least that's the feeling uh, in spring. Second thing I had was Phil Steele put out his magazine and his all ACC team. And we just wanted to talk about this just to tell you who like to look out for the season for the Hokies. First team was Damon Hazleton, you know, the stud wide receiver. He had eight touchdowns last year. Second team, uh, Keen, Ashby, 
Reggie Floyd and Dax Hollifield were on the second team. Third team was Christian Derrishaw, our left tackle, Ryan Willis, our quarterback, and Oscar Bradburn, our punter. And then fourth team was Jared Hewitt, the defensive tackle who came on strong last year. So a nice representation for the guys, but there is a notable absence on the, among those guys, and that would be Trey Turner. Yeah. To me, I felt like Trey Turner, he didn't make the all ACC team in Athlon's preseason picks or in Phil Steele's preseason picks. And the way he burst on the scene as a true freshman last year, I find it hard to imagine he's not on the first, second, or third team at the end of the season. Yeah, it seems like a pretty uh, blatant oversight given his production and what he did. So I, when I when I saw your tweet about it, I was in 100% agreement. And the interesting part of when you look at both of all these magazines is, and granted, he was not technically a starter, but I mean, with his production, I would consider him a starter. But if you look at the Athlon returning starters, for him, I'm looking at him as as basically a returning starter in terms of production and what he did and what you know what's coming forth. And Athlon doesn't have him listed in bold as you know a returning starter because probably they have a certain threshold or he has to start a certain number of games or he has to have start in general. I haven't gone back to last season. Or so. it's a mistake. Or it's a mistake, <laughs> yeah. but I'm literally looking at it and he's not bolded as one of the returning starters, right. um, even though he's on the uh, on the starter line now for for the team. I think um, it's a it's a big oversight, but guess what? He can prove it on the field, and uh, he'll go ahead, and I think he's going to do it uh, this season. So uh, I'm excited about that, although it's unfortunate that he's not getting the recognition I think he probably deserved. There was one other that Athlon listed that Phil still didn't list, and that was Silas Zansi. I think he was on third or fourth team on Athlon. So that's another notable player and that's great that our two tackles are both recognized that just it just these things don't mean anything because they have to play the season out but it does tell you that like hey these guys should be pretty good and it's something to watch going forward we're going to do a little bit of bad news before we keep it positive for the rest of the podcast bryce watts one of our starting corners decided to transfer most people thought that was because he was going to transfer to be closer to family or maybe a child that he has or something. But instead, he transferred to UNC, a division rival. It's something that we really didn't see coming. To me, it doesn't make a ton of sense. But hey, the heart wants one at once, and that's where Watts went. <laughs> Mac Brown <laughs> took another one from us uh, in his short tenure. He's already uh, proven to beat us out in a few different recruiting battles, but now he's taking our starters too. Um, I'll say this about Watts. He toughed it out during the season. I had a lot of respect for him. He played with like a broken forearm or something for most of the end of the season. But he wasn't great. Obviously, the defense was terrible, and the corners in particular weren't very good. And in the spring game, he got turned around a few times and didn't have a great showing. Uh, One of the few standout disappointments in the spring game, I think was Bryce Watts. And I'm not disparaging him because he's leaving. That's just what happened. Yeah. Um, So it's a loss because you want as many young returning players as possible, but there's no telling who would have maybe beat him out. Jeremy Webb is hoping to come back this year. You got Quillen still on the team, Waller. So it stinks to lose a guy to a division rival, but I'm not overly upset about it. I guess my Concern, I think probably a lot of Hokie fan concern is it's a position that was so abysmal last year in the performance that we're used to expecting from a Virginia Tech uh, team that 
any attrition, whether good, bad, or otherwise, is going to raise some hairs on the back of your neck. So it, I would rather him not have gone to, to UNC. I would rather him be within the program, especially when you think about things like potential injuries or what could actually happen. And you don't know how people are going to perform uh, throughout the spring and then the fall as they get ready or summer in the fall and get ready for you know performance. But there's just so many question marks at that position after what happened last year um, that I think it's it's just it causes a lot of concern for anybody to leave the program on top of what all happened in terms of all the attrition before that we've hit a number of times, but we're not going to hit on again. <laughs> I'm with you. It's not optimal, but it's just how it goes. The next thing I had was the Jalen Hyatt decommitment. Now, he was part of our 2020 class, and we're going to talk about the recruiting class in a little bit. Uh, Jalen was our highest recruit in the class, I believe, at the time of his decommitment. And he was a burner. I believe he's going to be a wide receiver. And hopefully he'll recommit at some point. Uh, but right now he has decommitted, and, and it was just another blow to our 2020 recruiting class. On that same note, Antoine Powell, who we were after at defensive end and we're really, I don't know, kind of counting on because we don't have uh, any defensive ends or defensive linemen in this class so far. Uh, he fl- committed to Florida, and that wouldn't have been as painful except for uh, the pictures of him and Torian Gray and us needing a defensive end in this class so badly. And we really wanted him. And also that Kerry Blackshear committed to Florida on the exact same day. I think black, so, I think the Blackshear part is the most, the most troublesome for everybody that, that was, um, that was the, the kick in the nuts. And then the laugh in the face is basically what that was. Uh, yeah. I, you know, I'm not going to fault the kid for going to Florida or, and I'm especially not going to fault Kerry Blackshear with, with how, uh, you know, everyone's gone from last year's basketball team and he wants to go have a chance to show off for the pros. So, you know, I, I wanted him back on the Hokies, but it's it's okay and it's also okay with Powell. But again, that was just a bad afternoon <laughs> for a Hokie recruiting in general. The Before message, we get into the a little message bit more boards details. were not very good. Let's just put it that way. I stayed off of yeah. everything as soon as I saw that announcement. Actually, both announcements, I just kind of had to stay away because it was it was too depressing. One more football note before we go over basketball. Uh, the Tavian Feaster sweepstakes are in full swing right now. He There was an article released on, I think it was the state.com, that he's down to Virginia Tech and South Carolina. And that's kind of been the word for a while now. And he's it's July 11th and he still hasn't chosen where he's going to play football and camp starts in you know three weeks. So we should know pretty soon where he's going to go. Um, the article kind of made it sound like a tech lean, but some of you know what I've heard of other places say he's a South Carolina lean. So no one knows. <laughs> the crazy thing is South Carolina literally has the toughest schedule in the country next year. And we literally have the easiest Power 5 schedule. Now, these things are subjective and they can change. But according to Phil Steele, we have the easiest Power 5 schedule and South Carolina has the hardest. So would you rather, as a running back trying to get to the NFL, would you rather maybe play bigger SEC games on bigger stages with more scouts in the stands? Or would you rather go up against a super easy schedule knowing that you're the guy to show off your skills? It's, It's a little bit of a tough call. I don't know. Sometimes I think we might overthink things. It's just where he feels comfortable probably at this point. If he thinks he has the ability, he, I'm, 
I mean, he was he was at Clemson. And he didn't, you know, and then he he decided to move on. Basically, he got beat out. Is is I think the what most people he believe. fell down the depth chart. Yeah, yeah. and. He's, there's no doubt that he's extremely talented, extremely athletic, and will be a great addition to either program. I think at that point, it's wherever you think you fit in best. The funniest part is the two programs that he's choosing between because South Carolina is not, the Gamecocks are not exactly pumping out running backs year after year like you know they probably have in the past, and neither is Virginia Tech. So there, he's kind of choosing between two programs where he knows he can stand out. And that's what makes it a coin flip for me is, and to your point, it actually makes it more relevant of what the schedule looks like, because maybe he's looking at where he's going to put up the most numbers, the most production. Yeah. And I, I don't know. It's, it's a weird situation to, to be stuck in when you are that highly touted coming out of um, a program and then you fall down the depth chart and then you're, you're heading somewhere else. So um, I don't, I don't know. It, it depends. You, you, you hit it right on the head is, is what kind of program do you want to go to South Carolina's schedule next year is, um, is a disaster. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pretty brutal. And just so everyone's aware, Tavion Feaster, Robbie said he, he's from Clemson. He was the number one all purpose back coming out of high school a five-star five star athlete, according to 247's in-house rankings, um, the number 29th ranked player in that class, according to the composite. So a really, really highly ranked player coming out of high school who maybe didn't live up to that ranking completely, but is still a very good player and would be a stud for us this year to add into our running back core. So hopefully he picks Tech in the next couple weeks and uh, we can talk about him when he's in camp. Some basketball notes before we go full football. We hired a new coach since our last podcast. That's how long it's been <laughs> since we've recorded because we've recorded a Sweet 16 recap and we hired Mike Young after Buzz left for Texas A&M. Mike Young, by all accounts, great hire. Uh, he's like a Radford guy from back in the day, been at Wofford forever, uh, taken them to the NCAA tournament many times, been co- coach of the conference many times. Um, and he has done some amazing work in just a few short months the 2019 recruiting class, which was non-existent virtually when he got here, is now ranked 50th according to the 247th composite, which for 345 teams and a guy just coming in right after the NCAA tournament to get us up to 50 is pretty impressive. There's three three-stars in uh, Hunter Couture, John Ojiako, and Nahim Aline, and also the four-star Jalen Cohn, which was the really big get for him. Um of course, we want a black shear back, but with the adding of two transfers, he's got five guys coming into the program to help supplement, and we're bringing pretty much everyone else back. You know, in, in terms of the guys who were maybe going to leave, like PJ Horn or uh, well, Bisabidi, um, they're all coming back. So we'll have we'll have Nolly. It'll be a very young team. Um, we'll probably you know take our lumps, especially in Maui when we play Michigan State, <laughs> but. Uh, but I do think by the end of the year, this team will, you know, be a good shooting team. We'll play good D. We'll play, you know, we'll play hard. And I think Mike Young will bring that to the table. What do you think about the hire? I thought it was. I thought it was a great hire. I think he. I liked the the media appearances, um, especially since you know Fuente has not shown the ability or propensity or just the willingness or really the initiative to try and you know 
build that out. It's been lackluster at best. So I, I like that he came into the program. He's been more media friendly. He's recruited his ass off uh, almost immediately. There's no way you can get those. He hasn't been in the program that long, and he came, went out and he built out, you know, a, a squad pretty quickly. Um, you know, we, we knew that there was there was a ceiling and a floor on the type of person that we were going to be able to bring in. But everybody that you kind of read about or, or everything that you hear about him when he was at Walford is high, high praise in, in terms of him and his character and, and what he does in the program. And um, I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll see what happens on the court, but it's going to take a year or two for him to get his feet underneath him. It took Buzz the same when we, we started, and I don't think we should expect anything different, but I, I think he's a good fit, and I think he's a... It shows Witt has really got his head on his shoulders in terms of like finding the right person that can fit into you know, the Virginia Tech culture, I think he could be that type of person. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Perfect fit, and he's not a Buzz type who's just using it as a stepping stone, and we appreciate all the work Buzz did for Tech, but that's what it was. We we knew the business we were getting in when we hired him. Um, Mike Young, on the other hand, he could be at Tech for 10, 15, 20 years and, and retire from Tech, you know? So I don't think he's going anywhere. Um anytime soon. And that's not just because the team might struggle the next few years. It's because I think he likes the area. He's comfortable. He's not going to want to move around too much. And he, he's he's a little bit on the older side. So hopefully we have him until he retires because that would mean he's doing a damn good job. Okay, we are going to get into a ton of football stuff now, uh, past and present and into the future a little bit, look, going into our thoughts on the schedule. The overview for what we're going to do, we're going to do spring storylines, do a little bit of recruiting. We're going to go over the preseason magazine rankings, our thoughts on the schedule, and then some position battles if we have time. We'll kind of see how this goes. So starting with the storylines coming out of spring, I would say number one, things usually revolve around a quarterback, right? So I'd say that Ryan Willis is our guy. You know, it's his team, and that's pretty blatantly clear. There is... No major leaps from Quincy Patterson or Hendon Hooker. And he threw three TDs in the spring game. He was clearly the best quarterback, um, clearly the best last year too. And I'm excited for him to get another year of development, improve year over year on his reads. And I think he could have a really spectacular year. Yeah, it's Ryan Willis's team. Uh, Just like you said, it's getting beyond frustrating to the point of annoyance and it's going to be Fuente style till whenever he leaves Virginia tech that he won't announce a starter. He knows who it is. There's, there's no doubt. I think in anybody's mind that it's, it's Willis and he deserves it. He played really well. He came in in a tough position after the injury of Josh Jackson. And, you know, for all accounts, he, he had a good season. He's coming back. Um, He's the guy, unless he got beat out, and it doesn't sound by any accounts like he got even close to beat out, you know, for that for that position. So, um, you know, there's something to be said that, hey, I want my guys to keep fighting to the end, and it's going to be a position battle to the end. And there's some that I actually appreciate, which is I have confidence behind this guy. He's our starter. And yeah. the, he, he hasn't done that in any of his seasons, period. He won't do that, and he's not going to do that. He did it sooner. Um, 
I think he moved up the timeline a couple times. Like the last, when he announced Gerard, it was like farther into camp. And then maybe Josh, the first year was a little bit earlier, something like that. So hopefully like day two of camp, he taps Willis is like, he's our starter because you want to, you know, give the guy some confidence and maybe he's just his rule. Like I don't announce it till fall camp starts. Yeah. And it seems like a very arbitrary rule and you know, it's, um, <laughs> I don't guess know. What? I'm, he's, just, I'm just speculating. He's yeah. putting, yeah, he's, he's put some guys into the NFL that are, are very experienced. So hopefully it works out, but, um, you know, it's his gamble, not mine. So, uh, I think that was a big storyline. I think the, the next biggest storyline coming out of that, surprisingly the defensive line, um, which I wasn't actually expecting to be my focus. I was expecting to pivot right to the wide receivers and then go right to the cornerbacks and see which the cornerback stories we'll get to in a second. But um, the D line I thought was an interesting take in terms of what we, what we have there, maybe not a lack of depth, but some strength up front. And that's a position I was extremely, extremely worried about. Yeah, I had the same thing written down here. It was the improvement of the D-line. It looks like the four starters will be Garbett, Belmar, Hewitt, and the Juco transfer Crawford. They all had nice springs. Makes me feel a lot better about the pass rush in general just to hear about how the light is coming on for Garbett. Uh, and guys tend to turn the corner in their third year, and that's that's what he's in. The leadership role that we're hearing that Belmar is taking and Hewitt is taking – I'm excited. Now, we still need Adams and Becton and DeBose and Proctor to step up their game because we don't know when he, how Sean Gaines is coming back. He might not come back at all. I mean, he's recovering from an ACL that happened in November, I think. Yeah. So hopefully he's ready for the beginning of the season, but no one has any idea, and maybe maybe he doesn't come back at all. So we can't we can't rely on him is what I'm saying, at least for the first few weeks. And I'm just happy to hear that there was some, at least a little bit more hunt of the quarterback and holding the point of attack and things like that because we needed that desperately last year. The next big story I had, and this one might be the one the coaches talked about the most, was the emergence of James Mitchell, the tight end, Mr. Big Stone Gap himself. <laughs> he played in the spring game despite having surgery on a broken finger, which I love. you love a tough guy, so that was awesome. Uh, received tons of praise, like I said, the entire spring long and played well in the game as well. I expect him to be used a lot this year in the past game and probably even more than Keen, which I, I know we were always talking about the perfect record of the throws to Keen. Like he basically caught every pass that was thrown his way. But I still think they're going to value Keen's blocking enough that Mitchell will get more targets. Yeah, I mean, the <laughs> Mitchell became... Um... Uh, Sam Rogers evidently during the uh, this off season in terms of what he was, um, in terms of the reputation that he built in such a quick period of time and a fan base that uh, is is really behind him. I I think that the interesting part is when you take take Keen and then Turner, you go through like a Grimsley, you take all of these people and then you add Mitchell and he's the one getting talked about on top of all of these really, really talented players. That's, that's really exciting to, because we've already seen a lot of that talent on the field. We've seen what they can do and it sounds like, and it feels like people are like, well, he might be even better. (laughs) So it, it, it adds to the excitement um, of that wide receiver tight end core, which I think is probably, 
you know, if, you know, top two or three in the ACC overall, probably like number two behind Clemson's wide receiver depth. And they're that, I mean, they're off the charts, but it's, they, they but I think we're returning with him. And if he's going to perform on the field, anything even close to like what we're hearing about his talent level and what happened in the spring game and what he's been producing, it's exciting. Agreed, man. So, those are the three major things. I have some just other like nuggets and I'll, I'll kind of rip through them and you can kind of pick the ones you want to react to, but Dax being slimmed down, he's right around 230 after coming into tech around 245. That should really help him at backer this year. Jeremy Webb hoping to contribute even after tearing his a second his second Achilles in December. Uh, I'm hoping that he does cuz we could use some help at at CB and it would be really cool for him to recover from two Achilles tears and play because usually those are devastating that the achilles teal is nothing achilles tear is nothing to joke around about and to come back from i mean i know buddies that are you know playing softball and get uh, one of my friends got took out uh, his achilles and he's like it was it was like getting shot like i felt like a bullet pierced through my leg that's how like not at first but like once you're on the ground and then like the pain starts to set in at first you're like oh that feels weird and then it gets really bad to come back from two of those is almost, not, I don't even know if I've even heard of that. So, uh, you know, yeah. huge, you know, props. It's a him. career killer for the older basketball players. It happened to Kobe. It just happened to Durant. Um, and we'll see if Durant's ever the same, but for a lot of basketball players, they're never the same. And it, it just kills their bounce and all that kind of stuff. Webb is so young, you know, being in his early 20s that, Hopefully the recovery process, obviously it happened pretty quick last time he was running around before the UVA game yep. last year. So we'll see. Uh, he's, he's, he says he's going to be ready for fall camp. So that would be great. Holston finally had a fully healthy off season and he looks good. Good for the running back depth. Dewan Ellis seems ready to make an impact this year in the slot. Uh, that'll be backing up Hezekiah Grimsley, but his speed and using him on end of rounds and handoffs and stuff. That is that's exciting. Aiden Brown was moved from offensive line to defensive tackle to give us some more depth. I think that might end up paying dividends. We'll see. I want to see how fall camp goes with Aiden Brown playing DT. And finally, the DT walk-ons Phil Pot and Gideon Driscoll seem like they're going to be meaningful players at some point at Tech. It might not happen this year. It might not even happen next year. But they both showed a lot of fight throughout the spring and even in the spring game. And uh, that's exciting, too. And we, we've had a good history of developing walk-ons. Uh, we know the names of Sam Rogers and, and everyone else. But, uh, but that would be great because a position that we've had a really hard time recruiting, if we just happen to get two guys that can actually play and contribute walking onto the team, that's a major coup. Yeah, and it, yeah, the, the, the defensive line has been such a weird anomaly for Virginia Tech because it used to be – it used to be such a you know a crux of the entire defense, um, and obviously linebacker was a big part of that, and defensive back depending on the gear. But uh, it's it's not that we haven't had contributors. It's just like we've never had like that guy where you're like, I hey, this is you know these are the two boulders that we absolutely know we have a lock on, and we got to fill yeah, up. Two years ago when we had 
Settle and Ricky is that's as close as, close as, as we can, gotten in and a we long lost time. Settle early, yeah. and that was. I remember yeah. the gut punch when Settle was like, "I'm leaving," and everybody was like, "Dude, you were our like this is what was going to bring yeah. Virginia Tech back to like having a solid defensive yeah. line." So there's contributors, but we we need like rocks in like two of the positions, and then we can fill out the other other two, whether it's defensive tackle or defensive end. Just give me two solid guys, and then hopefully we can kind of fit in the other two. Yeah, and this year we're not going to have rocks at any of the positions, but what we have is guys who are developing and seeming like they're on the right track. So maybe they will become those rocks you know, during the season yeah. and, and our four starters on the line. Let's take a quick beer break before we get into recruiting and magazine rankings. Robbie, what are you drinking? So I am having a Licking Hole beer. I think we've only done one other because I looked it up at the store trying to run home from from work um and it's a licking old creek this is their juicy uh ipa and as licking hole often does there i don't even know if there's a name on this it just has two upside down rabbits and i'll have to find the name somewhere else um it might just be their regular ipa licking hole creek is a um Great brewery that I've had for probably like the last 12 months. I've started, you know, seeing them around um, and they're from Virginia. It's a great, great brewery, great beer, actually. And they make a, a solid line, not so much on the double IPA, more just kind of straight uh, IPA side of things. And this is no different but they love the graphics and all the kind of images on their cans, which makes it a little bit muddled when you're trying to quickly figure out what the actual name is of the beer. Licking Hole Creek, I even get some of that up here. I have a really good store up here, and we, they don't get a ton of Virginia stuff, but they do get Licking Hole Creek. They get a few of their kinds every couple of months, so I've definitely had it, and it is good stuff. I am drinking the Yards IPA. Yards is from Philadelphia, and you tweeted out a picture of the beer from the wedding. I requested that they put an IPA on in the in the rotation because that you know with the package you get from the place they give you Bud Light or Miller Light and Stella and whatever. And I was like, there was no IPA on there, so I requested Bell's Two Hearted, and I requested Yards Philadelphia Pale Ale. Uh, their Philly Pale is one of my favorite just drinking beers, and I I just really like it so. Tonight, I'm going for Yard's IPA, which I haven't had too much. I have had it before, but this might be the third time I've ever had their IPA. And it's very it's very dark, uh, very clear. It's not hazy whatsoever, which I do like that as a change of pace because so many are hazy now. 7% alcohol and a very clean uh, start and finish to this beer. Uh, I'm, I'm pleased with it. Yards IPA. So I was, while I was at your wedding, I'll tell a quick funny story. So I'm in line waiting for beer just like getting excited. I took the picture right after I took the picture, I grabbed uh, the two hearted and uh, an older gentleman comes up behind me. He's like, Hey, you know, do you see the beer selection? I was like, yeah, I was like, it's fantastic. I expect nothing different from, uh, from Pete. It's like, what are you drinking of those? Yeah, two hard. And he goes, oh, man, it's like, I can't, I can't drink those anymore. He's like, I'm too old. It's like, I have two of those. <laughs> He's like, I'm going to be, I'm going to be housed. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, yeah, but it's a delicious beer. He's like, all right, 
Maybe I'll have one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Are they are they seven and a half? Yeah. What is a two hearted? Two hearted. Like? It's, it's up. Two hearted is the most surprising beer. I think it's seven and a half because it tastes like it's a five and a half percent beer, almost a session. But uh, I remember looking at it because after he said that, I looked back at the bottle and I, you know, you and I have drank a lot of the two hearts over the years. Uh, it's a a pretty standard beer for like people that, you know, want to like go place and have like a decent beer, but you're not like going to be a snob about it. And, um, and I remember looking back in the bottle and being like, Oh man, we're going to put this old guy in a grave. if we Give him four of those. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So this, I'm not sure if this, I'm looking at the right thing, but it says seven, but either way, seven is on the higher end for just your standard IPA. And that's what the IPA I just had is the yards. And like I said, it was very, very good. Let's pop into this recruiting. Um, I want to address the 2020 class and what's going on because obviously, and I'm included in this, people are upset about the low ranking of the class. I'm not included <laughs> because I haven't said a word and I have been staying hot off the charts of this. So I'm giving you free reign to say what you have to say. Well, the way I've been kind of addressing it on Twitter, trying to stay out of trouble from people yelling at me that it's going to be a small class and like you hate Fuente and all this stuff. Um, I don't hate Fuente. I just, <laughs> I just keep saying it's last in the ACC. It's July 1st and it's last in the ACC. I state the facts cause that's just a fact. And then people get mad at me. Like, why would you tweet something like that? Like recruits can see this. Well, it's like, no, no, they're not. They're not looking at my Pete, tweets. No, Pete, nobody's <laughs> looking at your tweets. <laughs> no one's looking at my tweets. I'm yelling into the void and that's what I like doing. And that's just how I'll listen every once in a while, but, but I'll, even I'll ignore you. So guess what? <laughs> Some high schoolers definitely not listening to you. No, but the 2020 class has six commits in it. It's 89th nationally. It's uh, still last in the ACC as of today, July 11th. And it's got people riled up. I don't think there's a guy that's in the top 700 in the nation in the composite in the class. Um, so it's it's not great. I'm I'm not gonna like pull the the fire alarm here because there's a few things that are going on. One, it is true. It is going to be a small class. I'm tired of hearing that, but it is a fact. It might only be 12, 15, 16 kids, something like that. Um, so it's never going to be that high because they you accumulate the higher ranking by accumulating more recruits uh, to a point. And so let's just get it out of the way. It's not going to be a top 40 class. Like it's just not. It might have never been. But the fact that we didn't get Antoine Powell, the fact that we got a decommitment from Jalen Hyatt, that's not helping the case. And it's dipped down into the 80s, which I don't think I've ever seen a Virginia Tech class that low at this point in the year. Another thing that's contributing to that, and I, I'm almost done here, Robbie, <laughs> is that tech. I'm gonna I'm gonna tiptoe around this because I don't want people to get mad at me. Tech has limited resources. It's something we keep hearing, and some of that resources is time and effort put into recruiting. And if our coaches see a very talented roster on their hands, they know we don't have many scholarships available, and you've got to put in hours on end and years on end into these recruits and you've already whiffed a few times. I think there's a little bit of let's save our ammo for 2021. I don't, I, this is me speculating. I'm just trying to give reasons why our class rank could possibly be this low, but I do think there's a little bit of that going on and that 
We have struck out a few times. We're not done recruiting those guys. We're going to keep trying, try to get flips, hopefully have a good season, build some momentum. But I think we do have to understand that this was always going to be small class. We have one of our more talented rosters in terms of just star power uh, that we've ever had right now at Tech. And the coaches know that, and they know they don't need a lot of guys. They're trying to fill some holes, and they're kind of walking that line between how hard do we go after guys that we know we might never get. Um, that's that's kind of how I'd sum it up. And I guess the last thing is we were bad last year. And so recruits saw that, and it wasn't a fun team to watch. We got our teeth kicked in against Georgia Tech and Pitt, and that's not helping the recruiting either for this upcoming year. So the goal now is to have a very good start, especially to 2019, and hopefully start turning around the recruiting. Your thoughts? That's a, that's a lot to unpack. I'm sure you're going to get blown up uh i didn't say anything too outrageous i think it was it was well balanced here's here's the deal this recruiting class um i think the players have a lot of upside it's it's terrible it's it's just bad i mean it's just it's it's bad on paper but it could end up being good like you said the papers the the players have a lot of okay but if you were going to reverse it and if it was all good on paper right if it was all good on paper Everybody would be fine right now. And guess what? I know. If it's all good on paper, the problem is is that the trajectory of the program after last season with the recruiting right now put everything on Fuente. Yeah. So so that, that's the those thing. are the things it's that, that compiled. So he did not he doesn't get leniency in the small class because he just had a really shitty season and he lost to ODU. And I, I hate to be that blunt about it, but it's just no, you're it's right. just fact. That's why people are having such an issue is because they see this trend and there is reason to be. But hold on, I'm gonna pull we, it back there, from there. Sure. I'm also comfortable with that 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 it would have been great if we had like a you know, a nine, ten win season and then we had like a small class and it wasn't that great. I think everybody would have been a lot more patient. Everybody would have been like, Oh, well, you know, it's still trending in the right direction. The fact that the two kind of coincided or didn't coincide at the same time or what are driving everybody like that's really what the the crux of the issue is Mm -hmm. so i we've watched virginia tech take players that are not highly recruited two stars three stars and three stars and put them in the nfl so i'm willing to give the benefit of the doubt right now for for this situation and and it is a situation but you can't recruit at that level over time. So we'll see what happens. And it does put more pressure on how you perform during the season. Recruiting and performance on the field in terms of your record are interrelated and you'll get more leniency if you're good in one and bad in the other. Sometimes you'll get less leniency if you're really good in recruiting and then you're not doing much on the field. Um, So we're in a, a very strange time right now, I think in the program and I've just decided to just take a deep breath, not worry about it, and see oh, what yeah. he does this year. That's it. Yeah, I'm. I am, and I, I. I'd hope that I wasn't sounding like I'm complaining too much. I'm just trying to put out the state of affairs, and and I am done complaining about their recruiting class. I know where it's going to land, and it's not going to be in the top forty. It might not be in the top fifty, and that's going to be okay because the last three classes have been right on school average since 2000, if not a little bit above average in some ways. So we're, we're doing all right, and this is only going to be a very small portion of our roster when it comes right down to it. 
but it is, you know, Clem- you know the, the good schools, and I'm not going to use Clemson as an example. This is bad. It's a bad example because they're the best of the best right now. Um, teams don't have down years. Like, you know, Florida's and LSU's and Notre Dame's, like, they don't dip into the 30s, let alone the 40s or the 50s, regardless of size. And I'm not <laughs> – so should we expect more? Maybe. Is there reasons that we're in this position? Yes, and we can deal with those reasons, and hopefully they get better. Like that's 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 just what it is. But I do want to talk about these kids because some of them I have high hope for: Jalen Hampton, Lakeem Rudolph, C.J. Beasley, Noah Kim, Jordan Brunson, all committed since our last podcast. They all have uh, some Power Five offers, not as many as we'd like. Hampton has a Q's and BC offer. BC usually has good running backs. Beasley has a Pitt and Tennessee offer. Uh, Jordan Brunson has a BC offer. The only one that kind of stands out is Noah Kim, the quarterback recruit, who has one Power 5 offer, which is us, one other FBS offer, and it's Western Michigan. And I think we're just going to have to trust Fuente's evaluation on this kid. Uh, I don't I don't know. What and I think that's also the injury I don't think helped him. Uh, so I, I'm, that, that didn't go that well for well we have two two rudolph had an injury as well his was far more unfortunate he got hit by a car literally it got hit by a car but um beasley i i watched the film on all kim's and rudolph's was obviously more limited given that that portion of it but um let's just run through like the four that i watched were beasley cam brunson and rudolph so beasley i i thought was interesting and he's obviously fast as hell i mean he's he's a speedy as hell kid has a good vision can like see holes really really well you compare him to brunson at 210 um he's got size physicality the first part of his like tape that you can see and all of this is high school tape so like you kind of go off of what you can you can say is I, I looked at him, I was like, man, like this is a big dude. And then he just starts breaking tackles. Like he looks like a, a guy that can actually gain extra yards that can, you know, it was, it was pretty imp- impressive. Kim is the only other person. It's l- kind of limited tape, but um, he's, he, he needs to put on size if he's going to. Yeah. He's he's, and um, his mechanics, um, even from my, very, very, very amateur eye were were kind of way off base. But um, if he puts on size and he's excited to be a part of the program, and then Rudolph, um, you know, it was it was it was tougher to to see anything about him because I think he lost like almost an entire season um, after after his injury. Um, so those are the, those are the four that I kind of dug in on um, just based on the timing of know how long we've been <laughs> off air and then trying to figure out um the recruiting that's going on yeah i i'm excited about beasley and brunson and rudolph and rudolph projects i guess as a safety but um he's a wide receiver right now and he's just really athletic and he's six four and maybe he'll be a corner i don't know where the, they'll find a place for him but i i like rudolph and i brunson the big back is someone i'm i'm definitely in on and like I said, if BC is giving running backs offers, they they always seem to have good backs and good linebackers. So I'll I'll I'll, I'll take any guy that has a BC offer. You know they, they they know those positions well. 
Um, as far as the rest, hopefully we've got some guys. I don't know, even know who's out there for us right now in terms of who we're targeting. Um, we have the Blacksburg Bash at the end of the month, and that usually yields, if nothing else, some new names to look for a commit or two. Yeah, it's usually so, like one or two that we usually get out of that. And then a bunch of names end up popping up of like people that are on the radar. Yeah. So we'll see what happens at the end of the month. Um, there's some there's some kids in this class that are going to contribute at Tech. Uh, we wish, I guess we wish the ranking was higher uh, because it, <laughs> rankings aren't everything, but they're a big something when it comes down to it on, on a mass scale. And me and Robbie have been over that before is that the teams that compete at the highest level generally have the highest recruiting rankings. So it would be nice if our rankings came up a little, maybe we'll get a good start to the season and really build some momentum and close hard with some four stars and, and go from there. But that's where we're at in recruiting right now. Let's talk about the magazine rankings. This is some of our favorite stuff is the preseason magazines. I always go for Athlon and Phil Steele, and you're the same way. And I also like to look at Bill Connolly's S&P Plus rankings because uh, he does the projection. He does a returning production metric that he mixes in with the recruiting, and it's pretty fascinating. So I don't know where you want to begin. Uh, I guess I would I, like we to should start, start at with a high level. And maybe we're talking about philosophy, right? Of how these like the magazines have come about and what they do and what Bill does and. I've spent enough time. I think you've spent enough time to kind of understand. It, it, Phil Steele was one of the first people to say returning production. Like that was his, he put so much weight on that. It was almost ridiculous. So, you know, as soon as we finished up last season, like the next morning I woke up, I was like, man, like our returning production is going to be ridiculous. Like it's going to be off the charts, not like top 10, top 15, top 20, but like a relatively decent in it given the returning production. I don't know what, how you thought about it coming into to this year. Yeah, no, I, I expected the same thing. And I think the where it came in with Phil, I think was right in the 40s, right? Which I would have expected it to be higher. And I, I would have, I, I think that's what you're getting at. Um, I think it was 42. And some of that's losing Eric Kuma. He had a lot of yards. Uh, Sean Savoy had a lot of yards and on the defensive side, we brought back a lot, but we did lose Ricky. who was our sixth leading tackler. The starts on the offensive line. Cause he always counts all the starts yeah. and we lost a ton of starts on the offensive line yeah. and our offensive line could actually be better. So our returning production metric might not speak to how good we actually are coming back. Because I do think if Hoffman gets cleared on the offensive line and the guys step up, like we think they're going to, it could be really excellent. And then you kind of nullify those losses because the guys we currently have are more talented than some of the guys that went out yeah. the door. And I think that's exactly where my head was at. Was I was thinking about, oh, we got Turner, right? And it's like, oh, we got James Mitchell. And it's like, well, those aren't that, that's not production in the way that they run the stats on everything. And you lose offensive lines. But we are more positive in some respects on certain portions of it. And my only point was, in my expectation of the magazines coming out and how they were different to, to what I saw, which I imagine everybody has some idea of what they're going to open up the magazines. If you don't buy the magazines, then um, that yeah, actually you're probably better off because <laughs> you, you end up analyzing the heck out of them and analyzing what you know versus what they know. But uh, it was just interesting to me of what I thought I would see versus what I did see. 
So in we'll start with Athlon. Uh, they've been the most accurate over the last 10 years. <clears throat> they have Tech at number 26. Phil Steele has Tech at number 25. But Phil, Steer, Phil Steele's power pole, which is hard to say, is we has us at number 35. And so he does it two different ways. The ranking is what how he thinks we'll finish the year, basically in the AP poll. And he has us at 25. He thinks we'll finish the year ranked. His power pole is how good he thinks the teams actually are in a straight line. So in that sense, he has us 10 spots down, which shows you what he thinks of our schedule. And I mentioned it earlier. He thinks it's the easiest in the power five. S&P Plus puts us at 30. So if you take Athlon's 26, 25, the 35, and the 30, you come right out at 29. So we're about the 30th best team in the country going into the season in terms of our prediction. I think that's about right based on what we're bringing back. The one cool nugget I saw in Phil Steele was that because of all the defensive production we're bringing back, he has us as the number 15 defense in terms of total defense next year. That's his projection. You told me that because I didn't, uh, I haven't gotten out and bought steel. I have all the rest of his from the past five years sitting on my wall right here. So if you want to know about last year, I got it. I got it right here. But when you said that, I was blown away. Honestly, I if you I, really want to be blown away. UVA is number nine in his well, projection. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of different places that we could go with that, but let's in, in, on defense. Yeah, I'm yeah, saying, no. yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, 15, it's uh, you look through who's coming back, and even at the two deep, it's 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 uh, there's a lot of depth there. Like, even if the people that you thought were going to take a step forward don't, we we might have somebody else behind them that can actually uh, do it. So I, I, I believed it after I kind of heard it, but then I started going through the defenses across, you know, the various conferences and it, you know, I couldn't come up with 25 teams that would be ahead of us in terms of what we're returning and how much learning experience there is with a Bud Foster, you know, coach defense. So I, I believed it, but at first it was like, what really 15? Because what I would have said, honestly, if you were going to say what's the highest, you know, position group would have been on the offensive side of the ball with Willis coming back. We have an offensive line. You know, it, it, I would have put us probably in the top 20 in offenses um, across the board outside of the fact that we're getting dinged hard on the running back position. So it was, it was counterintuitive again from what I expected going in, which is the offense is returning a ton of talent. And if he's out- projecting, the defense to be 15th best in terms of total D then if he has us at 25 in the rankings, he expects the offense to drag them down, you know, <laughs> like that, well, that's which, what I'm saying, which you wouldn't have, have expected. Sense. Right. Right. Um, I hope that we finish the year ranked. That would be pretty sweet. It's going to require a very good start beating the teams we need to beat. And we're going to get into the schedule in a second. Um, I think another thing and I don't know if he, he probably didn't factor this in because he's, he's so numbers-based on a macro sense. But I think that something that's going to really help our defense is having just, uh, Justin Hamilton in the role that he's in because it's not just the coaching of the safeties and, and the whips like I talked about in the beginning of the podcast. It's the relaying the information down to Bud on the field. And that's something that was not working last year. And Tyrone Nix, I don't know. That was a whole 
Galen Scott leaving the program and bringing in Knicks last minute and all that stuff, it set us up for failure. You throw in Mook and Adonis and Trevon Hill and all that stuff that went down and all the injuries. It was a complete disaster. Well, let's we're starting already better off because we've got a solid hire with Justin Hamilton in the back. I believe that's who's going to be relaying the info down to Bud. And everything will work smoothly like it did in the past. Um, because whatever they were seeing up top that remember last year at the end of the year, Bud was going up to the booth or right. Like, yeah, he was, he said he was sick at the time. So it was during his, yeah, I I think it was twofold. (laughs) I think that they, I, I, you know, I'm making guesses. I'm just happy that the staff is no longer in flux and that I think all the communication issues or whatever will be cleaned up. And all the guys have gotten older. And that all brings it back to a defense that I certainly hope is top 25. That would be awesome. If it's top 15, even better. I will say one other thing. and We're kind of rolling. We're mixing in a couple different things here. But I don't know how you feel. But you know how good it makes me feel to see Ashby and Ladler and like rivers like to see the all the core. same names <laughs> yeah to see like basically i always just think of you know your linebackers is like you know if you've got a strong core then everything else can kind of play off of that like it it can it can help you in a lot of ways um i was surprised they didn't get as much talk in any of the preview magazines at least not in um, athlon about like how solid that core actually is and i I still kind of see people coming out there and saying that there's questions like they were, they were pretty damn good last year and they are, they're relatively young from, you know, talking about the linebacker specifically. Yeah. The linebacker position and coming back this year. I mean, two of them are like leaders in the locker room leaders in the weight room. I mean, it's just, it's, I, I feel like that's what gives me more confidence than anything else And everything else can kind of build around that. Um, and they're still, it's still a young group. Yeah. Put a pin in that for now. Cause we're going to do the positions at the end <laughs> schedule thoughts. What are your thoughts on the schedule? How are you seeing the masses react to the schedule as it stands today? Oh, wonderfully. I, I think everybody's like, <laughs> well, I guess we should all be positive about it, but there's obviously mixed emotion on whether you have an easy schedule or a hard schedule or an in-between schedule. I think, um, General consensus is that our schedule is easy based on rankings, like right now, and we'll see what the teams end up doing. But um, my general thought is it's very favorable for Virginia Tech, and we play the schedule that we've gotten laid out in front of us. Um, There was a little bit of a swap between ECU and Rhode Island, that was, you know, due to circumstances that we didn't foresee. There were, yeah, you know, there's been tons of schedule changes, and you make these far in advance of when you're going to play them. And we have a schedule in front of us. I guess my general thought is to take the emotion out of it, and it's like, here's what we have in front of us. Let's not worry about what's down the road or the commentary that could come if we play well or if we play bad. Let's just play, try and play well against the schedule that we have. Yeah, and that's all we can do at this point. And and it's the same thing as with the recruiting. Like I have been a part of the complaining um, that it's just not a very fun schedule to go down and see games for and things like that. There's just not a lot of enthralling home games. Um, 
But, I, you know, let's stop complaining about it. The, the schedule is what it is. It's not going to make it any less fun to, like, whip up on some teams. I'm hoping that we have an easy schedule. It's it's nice to, for once, not play a brutal schedule or whatever. A lot of times in years past, we start the season with Tennessee or West Virginia or Alabama or USC or something. And it's Ohio like Ohio State. <laughs> right. Like, it would be nice to start the season 3-0, 4-0. So I'm excited about that aspect. And would like you just said, with the ECU swap out for Rhode Island, yeah, it makes us look worse because we're playing two FCS teams. But the way ECU's been playing the last couple of years, is any does anyone care if we beat Rhode Island or ECU? Like they're they're bad. They're both bad. So just beat them. So like I don't want to hear like oh you're playing two FCS teams. Like well we kind of were already because we yeah. were playing ECU and they've been so bad the last couple of years. I, um, I will pivot off of one thing, and I know you're going to get pissed at this, but I do want to bring up the fact that like over the long term. I do care about the schedule, just not in the year that's ahead of us. So like next year we have Penn state. I am so excited about that game. I can't even tell you the Ohio state game. I was so excited. Big time schools are playing big time games. Michigan rescheduled against us. Um, We were supposed to have that game, a home and home. We'd lost that game. I was so excited about having that game. We lost it. So I, I actually went through our future schedules and we need to do better. We have Wisconsin in a few years, but like uh, I do think just as a quick point, we need to do a better job of like putting ourselves out there and getting good home and home. Even if we have to take a neutral site, I don't love them, but like a, those games. So over yeah. the long term, I care, but then this year all we can control is the schedule that's ahead of us. And that's like it. I was alluding to is we have done historically a very good job of doing and i and wit will get that under control i know right now it doesn't look great in the future we do have a game against west virginia and of course the deal with notre dame which is helping us this year uh but they'll get that under control i think for this team and this time um this schedule may be perfect because we're like in triage mode a little bit after last year and we need to rehab and this this schedule is football rehab is what it is. It's because it, it's laid out there to get us better and get get the excitement back. And that first game against Boston College is <laughs> that's going to set the barometer for the entire year. And maybe barometer might not be right, but it's going to set the tone for the whole year. Um, I think we're going to win it. I think they are. They've lost a lot. Their offense is bringing back a decent amount. New offensive coordinator, and we're not going to do every detail. But this is the opening game. I'm thinking about going, and it's this is binary. That's what I was looking for. It, this is a binary result. Like if we lose this game, like burn the whole thing to the ground. People are going to be losing their minds, and Fuente's seat will instantly get super hot. If we win. And even if it's not convincing, people will be happy. And they're like, oh, we went up to Chestnut Hill and we won. Like, I feel you're good about to, this You're season. thinking about going to Chestnut Hill just so we're I've got I've got some family up there. or I, My wife has some family up there. And um, a very good friend that you met on my bachelor party, Boyer's up there. So I'm going to go do some visiting and then also go to the game. All right. You can go to Marianne's. That's where I drank <laughs> my way through uh, grad school uh, okay. when I went to BC. And, uh, yeah, that's about uh, the shittiest bar that you can find up there. It is, um, like I always said, it is the most tame atmosphere that you will ever see in college football, at least in the ACC, or at least in, you know... Major college yes, football, I guess. Yeah, yeah. major college, FBS football that I've ever seen. So uh, just be prepared. 
I well, hope it is the opening time. game, and it is Labor Day weekend, so it could be a little bit more rowdy than normal. But I'm still not expecting much. <laughs> um, how do? You, but did you agree with my sense on like the binary result of that game? It there is is a it is a very dangerous spot for us because the even if we win by a touchdown, nobody's going to be happy. Like we should come out of that game winning by like two touchdowns, maybe like I, you know. <laughs> I, I I'm peeling it back just because of the Vegas lines like two and a half right now. So like that scared me. Um, but yeah, when I was thinking about it like two weeks ago without looking into it too, too much, I was like, yeah, we should probably win by double digits. Like we, we are bringing back a lot. They lost their whole defense is practically gone. I mean, yeah. if, if it could actually be a very entertaining game, cause there should be a lot of offense. Yeah. Um, but I put the BC game in the group with, UNC, Wake, and Pitt as like this group of four games that are like going to decide our season. Like we have the toughest game in Notre Dame. That's widely considered along among the uh, preseason predictions as the hardest game in terms of their ranking. Little bit of a wiggle on the second one because Athlon actually has UVA ahead of Miami. It's something I didn't notice till you pointed it out to me. They have Miami at twenty-eight. They have Virginia at twenty-five. All yeah. the other rankings, Phil Steele has a huge gap with Miami at 15 and Virginia at 56. So very different thoughts there. Um, yeah, Steele's wrong, by the way. So I mean, that, 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 in that particular instance, I mean, you, you, you can think say UVA what you is going to be better than Miami? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Uh, I, I mean, I, well, it's a fair thought. Well, I, I just think Perkins. I'm very scared. I think of Perkins is good. I, yeah. And guess what, Miami. Their quarterback situation's been in you know a disaster. For we don't a know. Yeah, exactly what we're going to get from them. Um, so yeah, those are the three hardest games though, I'd say by, by a fairly significant margin because Mm -hmm. Miami and UVA and Notre Dame are all on the road, BC and, uh, well, BC is on the road as well, but I still think they've lost enough that I'm grouping them with the three home games of Pitt, UNC and Wake, which should all be wins should, but you know how Pitt likes to sneak up on us. Um, Notre, uh, North Carolina, definitely scared. Uh, to lose to them this year, not because I think Mac Brown's a good coach, but just because weird things happen to us sometimes. Um, but I do want to get to the over under uh, because of the rest of the games, Georgia Tech, I don't expect to be very good, and uh, you know Rhode Island, Furman, and uh, Duke, I don't expect to be very good either. Can I tie it all together with your over under? It's the same question. Sure. So, and it'll actually tie together. I think what a lot of listeners are thinking about which is the fact that we have the easiest schedule that in we've probably had yeah. in the p5 but we've probably had in the last decade yeah, maybe easy. like that that easy and we're hoping that we can cover an eight and a half is yeah. why people are upset I mean, do you see what I mean? Like, yeah, it's no, yeah. One, over under eight and a half, and we're like one debating on whether we can cover it. Yes, <laughs> like, like people with are all like, this returning production, it should be a no brainer. But I get you, I get you. No, you make a good point. Um, but it's because of what we saw last year. Yeah. We saw a chink in Fuente's armor of the ten win and the nine win season, and then we saw him lose to ODU. So it. And we've seen we've we see the inexplicable loss to Syracuse. We see a chance to clinch the coastal and then lose to Georgia Tech. You know, we've seen these like, what the hell happened there? Like, yeah. and that can happen in any given game. Probably not against Furman. Probably not against ODU. 
and probably not against Rhode Island, but in any other ACC game, we can lose any of those games, any one of them. Um, But I will say that I'm picking the over. I'm 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 picking the over too. Yeah, I'm I'm picking 10 and 2. I feel very good about this team. We're going to have a dumb loss. Maybe we don't, but I kind of think we either lose to Notre Dame and then we lose to like Pitt and we win all the other ones, you know? I actually cuz we could they could they could be the two obvious losses. It could be Notre Dame and Miami. It could be Notre Dame and Virginia. It could be Miami and Virginia. But most likely it's going to be a stupid one. And a tough one. <laughs> so I yeah, think we're going to win one of the one of the ones that we shouldn't, or on paper, I say we should that we shouldn't, and then we're going to lose another kind of foot foul. Like you know, we're going to stub our toe somewhere, and I, I'm I'm totally on board. Um, I have a I would say nine. I'm more comfortable with than ten okay. right now, but um, I totally agree with you and it is hard for me to walk through this schedule i literally wrote down every team and i was like should we win this game or i i said like a seven out of ten times should we win this game and i went through and i ended up mostly at 10 wins and i sometimes i ended up at nine and i just kept doing it and i was like yeah it should be it should be nine to ten wins if you're going to win it seven out of ten eight out of ten times and that's ignoring us doing anything ODU like. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, the other thing about this schedule is like a l- large amount of it is like the revenge tour. Like we lost to BC. We lost to ODU. <laughs> we lost to Miami. We lost to Notre Dame. We lost to wake the wake game. Remember the, the famous wake. Everyone knows what I'm talking about. Um, the zero zero overtime game. That's we need revenge. That was for the that last one. time we played them, right? I'm pretty sure it was, right? Yeah, because it's cross. Yeah, it's cross. So, yeah, that was probably the last time. So, revenge oh for Wake, revenge for Georgia Tech because they kicked the crap out of us, and revenge for Pitt because they kicked the crap out of us. So, the only teams we're not getting revenge on are UVA, North Carolina, and Duke. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and the two FCS teams, too, but we don't, you know, play. And North those. Carolina's coach is 75 years old. Yeah. So, this is the the season of the of, of revenge. Let's, let's hope. Yeah. I. I am very, very hopeful for the next. If it doesn't play out that well, this is not going to be good for this coach. Well, you staff. you said this maybe at the end of last year. You said Fuente staring down the barrel of a very loaded gun with this <laughs> yeah. schedule, like, the, and that's what that's what it is. I mean, it's <laughs> it's um, and that it's, gun it's, that gun could easily be turned around and be explosive for the program. Like I, I don't I don't want to like make everything negative. Yeah, he's staring yeah. down. Like if he shits the bed on this schedule, that is extremely bad. Like with this returning talent, like what he has in the pro, like that is bad. There's no like there's like like cut through the bullshit. Like let's just get to it. That would not be a good thing. But he could also turn the barrel around and turn this into like a really big shot for the program. Yeah. And have like a a ten win season that everybody's going to be talking about. It's like, oh well, they had an easy schedule, but guess what? Everybody's still going to say ten win season, yep. and that that could help him on the recruiting trail. So it, it's fully in his control which way you know the program and what he does with it. It's his team. He's getting paid to run the team. It's his team this year to see what he does with it. All right, the last thing I wanted to talk about. 
and we'll do this quickly, is just the some thoughts on the position groups. And the first thing I wanted to ask you was what position battle going into fall camp is the one you're looking forward to the most? The, the position battle, not just the position. Right. I was going not, for not asking for you because I want to ask you your favorite, which which one position group you're most excited about after this. Oh. But in terms of a battle, what what position like battle are you looking forward to? Um, I I don't know. This is going to be kind of it's not a great answer, but I do want to see who takes the reins at wide receiver. Um, in terms of being over the past really four years, if I'm not mistaken, we've had like a different person that's kind of led the wide receiving core and whether it was cam or you go back to like Isaiah, like every year it seems like we've always had somebody new that it's like, and I know they both like Phillips broke a record for like you go through all of that, but every year it seems like we have somebody that's like jumping out. And now we have probably, I think, you know, three people that could be the leading wide receiver on the team. And one of them I feel like is going to do the same thing that keeps happening to us is going to take the reins and just like run with it. So I, with Willis coming back and the connection between him and his wide receiving core, I kind of want to see, like, I don't know who it's going to be like in this year, like we knew what it was going to be before. And Phillips sat behind Isaiah. So like, we kind of knew what was going to happen there. This is kind of wide open, I think for me. So I know it's kind of a boring answer because a lot of people are pointing at the wide receivers, but I think it's pretty, pretty cool. Yeah. And I, whether you're saying whether Turner or Hazleton or even Grimsley or Patterson or someone like, is our leading receiver separates the themselves. Yeah, yeah. Like completely separates them and becomes like the go-to. I, I could, I, I don't know if you could pick out who it's going to be. I couldn't. No, I it. mean, I don't know. I, the, yeah. Turner is going to be great this year. Hazleton should be great too. And I, I don't know who's going to have more TDs, more long plays. Like it, it is, it is going to be exciting to watch there. Um, I was thinking just like who, like in terms of who could become a starter as opposed to sitting the bench. Um, and, and that would be right guard because it's our last open spot. So I'm kind of looking forward to seeing if, you know, we need to hope that Hoffman gets that clearance because they're still appealing the decision of whether he's going to be immediately eligible or not. If he's eligible, he'll probably play center. If he plays center, then that would open up Hoyt as an option at right guard, or you could have Austin Cannon who played there in the spring with the ones a lot. Tyrell Smith, the only senior, the stud recruit, Doug Nestor, or John Harris, which they're very excited about. And I haven't even mentioned the the multiple freshmen that are coming in in Hanson and Pritchard and Hudson, which are all highly regarded, um, as well as Nestor. And TJ Jackson, who, while playing tackle, he he was playing because Darisol was out all spring, but maybe he could even move into the right guard spot. So I'm kind of interested in how they find their best five, because Lasidus is probably going to be at left guard. And then you got Silas and Christian, and the center position, hopefully it's obtained by Hoffman. If Hoffman's not there, it's going to be Hoyt. But you're going to have all these guys fighting for that last right guard spot, and I'm just interested to see how it plays out. Um, I think running back, I, we, we want to see if Holston or McLeese kind of separate themselves there. Caleb Stewart is one that I thought looked pretty good. Um, obviously, Wheatley has had his injury issues but was pretty good last year too. And then you've got the three young guys in King, Gary, and Cole Beck. Like, how much will they contribute? So running back is another one. 
well, with the, only the feaster decision being like the wild card. Yeah, the only reason that's not as exciting is even when we think we have all, you know, it's going to be spread around, right? Like that's why it's not exciting to me because yeah. even if we have, I feel like even if feaster comes in and he's just like absolutely like the best, we're still going to be like, ah, oh, well, we're going to, you know, we're going to use multiple. We're all going to give him. Ten carries a game, yeah. Exactly, exactly. I don't think that would happen. I think if Feaster came here, I think they would feed him more. I really think so. But um, who knows? The last position battle I had noted was the backups at defensive tackle, because I think it's going to be Hewitt, Hewitt, and Crawford as the starters. I think that's. I don't know if it's clear cut, but I think it's clear that they'll be starting. But who are who are we going to find to back them up? Um, and it could be Porsche, Xavier Burke coming off the injury, Aiden Brown, the guy who just moved over, Phil Pot, Driscoll, the two walk-ons, and Jaden Cunningham is that JUCO guy that was supposed to come in. I don't even know if he's coming. I haven't heard of him being enrolled or anything yet. So we got to find two backup defensive tackles. Who are they going to be? Most likely, I'm guessing Porsche will be one. Burke will be the other if he's healthy. But if he's not healthy, we got to find some guys. Yeah. And the only thing that to go back on what you said about Hoffman, Brock, so he get his waiver got denied, right? So that through the NCA has now since changed the rules because of his denial and everything. So I think it's not it's not going to be retroactive. So I think his decision is going to be independent of the new rules. But the new rules are not only that you have to be near somebody that's medically in need, in need, that's immediate family, but you have to be taking care of them. So I was listening you know, the other day to you know, the billion football podcasts that we listened to. Um, so, and he was one of the reasons that that got revisited and NCAA made the rules more strict because of how easy it was for a lot of people to get through the waiver process and him getting denied. So now you have to be not only moving to somewhere within proximity, you also have to be giving them care and have you to have be, to like be taking them to their radiation appointments. Well, you have to demonstrate that you're like, you know, also aiding them. Yeah. You can't just like live in the same town as somebody. But, um, but I, I don't know. And I'm saying, I don't know this. I don't think that's going to be, I don't think that's going to apply to his decision. Um, and that could be, but he still might get it reversed because I think there was like, Something with yes. the paperwork or something yes. also weird. Yeah. Whatever. Hopefully it all gets cleared up because it'd be That's really nice it, to have him. It should. Well, first of all, it should just get cleared up because he should be able to get the waiver. But it was just, yeah. it was something that was relevant and it got brought up by a number of parties that Brock was one of the reasons that the NCAA revisited the whole rules and how easy it was for a lot of people to get waivers. And then he got denied. All right. Last thing. And then we got to go. Um, Position group you're most excited about? Um, position group, I think I'm going to go with... Um, I'm going to go with the the D-line, I think. Only because I came in with so much worry about it, and, and then I've read more, kind of understood more, and I think it's just a, a position that we really need to to solidify, tighten up, get some depth into. And honestly, 
I guess is the best way to say it. I love when cornerbacks are just like in hard coverage and, you know, swat down something that should be like an easy touchdown. You're like, that's the best coverage. But just seeing defensive linemen just like get in there and just see him like, you know, manhandle or slit through gaps in like the offensive line. It's just one of my favorite things. Even it, it goes back a long time just watching Virginia Tech football. So I want to get back there to like see that happen. So I'm, I'm hopeful. There's a lot of other position groups that we can all rattle off that we're excited about. That's probably the number one that I'm, I'm like really, really hopeful returns to what I traditionally would think is like our good defensive lines. I would, in the more traditional sense, someone I like, I feel like they're, I know they're going to perform. And this is what you said earlier. The, the wide receivers, and in a broader sense, the pass catchers is what I'm most excited about. Is because you take the wide receivers, you add in the tight ends and Keen and Mitchell, and this group can be very, very special and can be very special for the next couple years. So I'm super stoked about Hazleton and Turner and Grimsley, Patterson, Ellis, even down to Daryl Simmons and Caleb Smith, like Elijah Bowick, the freshman, and the other guys coming in. Like who knows who will contribute, but there's a lot of names a lot of guys who can play, so I'm pumped about them. I'd also say uh, I'm excited about the linebackers. That's That is easy. I mean, we were excited about them last year. They're so talented, Ashby, Dax, Rivers. Then you got backups. I thought that was just like, a given. You don't even have to be yeah, excited. Yeah, I know, I know. It was, it's too <laughs> obvious, but Artis and Tisdale and Griffin and Griffith, like it's a talented and deep group. One a little bit more off the beaten path would be the safeties, and that's Floyd and Diablo who – our veterans, and when fully healthy, Diablo is sensational. Um, but Devin Hunter starting to look better, backing up at Rover, and then Tyree Rogers was solid as a backup for Diablo last year. You, you add Chamari Connor, who's playing both Whip and Rover. He's our like kind of the backup at both right now. Um, and J.R. Walker at free safety as a backup. I mean, that's that's starting to look like a nice deep group going forward too. So. I'm excited about you said D line. I said linebackers and safeties. That's the whole defense basically. So I guess the corners is what we're missing. (laughs) Yeah. I guess, I guess we covered everything. So uh, we'd like to be more excited about the corners. And I think there, there is reason to be optimistic, but yeah, they were the worst group on the field last year. No, I, they, they were bad. I mean, we don't have to like kind of skirt or like, it was really, really bad. So I'm just, I, I'm, I can't be excited when literally it's it was kind of my nightmare. Like, well, I, the D line was pretty bad too, and you're excited about them. But the, we we've heard a little bit more about them, I think, too, and we got those yeah. transfers, which helps. They weren't as bad as the cornerbacks, not even close. No. I mean, it was literally it was embarrassing. Like, I would watch games with my wife, and like I went in the basement because I couldn't watch it with her because I was like I was like that that was embarrassing. And she looked at me and she was like that was she was like, do you guys? you call yourself DBU like what the f was that yeah. and i was well, like the nice thing is is that they do work off each other and the better the pass rush is the better the pressure is yeah the easier we're going to make it on Caleb Farley and Waller and yeah. Quillen and all those guys so. absolutely all right that's going to do it for the podcast i just lost Robbie we had a few technical difficulties but uh we did get through the podcast went on a little bit long but thank you for listening thanks for being patient with us not coming back for a little while here but we had fun tonight recording this one. Um, make sure to subscribe, rate, review the podcast. 
Also, something we'd like to ask you to do is just, if you like the podcast, if you enjoy the podcast, just tell someone about it before the season starts so we can increase our listenership. We have increased every year, and we'd like to keep the trajectory going up. So if you enjoy the podcast, tell one person that's a Hokie fan that you think might enjoy it that doesn't know about it yet. Uh, and if you have any questions or comments, please email us. It's 2dvt at gmail.com. And make sure to check out our website. You can stream all the podcasts and look at all the beers we've had and even some of the stats we've been keeping over the last two years. That's 2deepvt.com. And until next time, go Hokies. Go Hokies.